Hello, and welcome to Talk of the Hound, a podcast from Theatre Hound. Theatre Hound is a new, unique theatre website launching this year which looks at the art and business of theatre from a multitude of angles. I'm your host, Wes Braver, and I'm here to talk to all kinds of people whose work makes theatre so compelling today. This episode, my guest is Morgan Gould. She's an accomplished playwright and director working mostly in the downtown theatre scene in New York City. Some highlights from her bio, she was the winner of the 2016 Drama League Residency Award for her play, I Wanna Effing Tear You Apart, which had its world premiere at Studio Theater in Washington, D.C. in February 2017. She's a member of the Ensemble Studio Theater and the Civilians R&D Group. I met Morgan at the New Dramatists Library, because she's currently a New Dramatists Fellow and is in their workshop for composers and librettists. Let's let's talk about how you came into the theater in the first place. Um, I guess it's fair to say, so in college I watched Waiting for Guffman, and I had to turn it off because I was so triggered because my mother is Catherine O'Hara at our community theater. So I have been involved in theater since I was a kid. <laughs> in the 1996 Waiting for Guffman, Catherine O'Hara plays an eccentric amateur theater performer. But I truly was like, I saw Waiting, my friends were like, we should watch this. How, how have you never seen it? And I was like, I don't know, I just missed it. And then I was like, Oh wow, oh wow, truly my parents are the two of them. Um, uh, yeah, like my mom literally called me last night to be like, well, the season has been selected and I hate all the plays. But it's like the Falmouth Theater Guild, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's very cute. Um, but so as a kid, like that was like church for us, like the way some people like have a congregation and go to church every Sunday. We were at that theater all the time. And my parents are like, you know, the, the way it's run is, like, what is run, you know, at a community theater. But my dad's, like, the president, and my mom's on the board. But, like, that's not, you know, super mm-hmm. serious. But they're very, very involved, and they have been... That's where they met, um, you know, in the 70s. So Amazing. they've been involved At the theater? At, the, at this where, theater. Where is this? Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Cool. Um, but, you know, very not a, a professional theater, by mm-hmm. any means. Uh, and so as a kid, I was just, like, always backstage. I was always in stuff. Um, I honestly think part of it was also, like... As soon as I was old enough, they were like, well, we don't want to hire a babysitter, so you're yeah, in. You gotta come. <laughs> but right. they were, I was lucky because I did actually really love it. And then, you know, I never really thought of it as a real career until I did an internship um, in my town that happens. Because weirdly, Cape Cod has a summer, like, summer stock situation that's actually very professional, mm-hmm. even though, like, my parents' theater is, <laughs> is truly, truly community theater. Um, so I ended up like meeting actual professional artists and being like, oh, like there are people that actually do this as their job because it was never sold to me as that. Like my parents both had, my mom's a teacher, my dad was a mechanical engineer, like boat mechanic. Um, and so basically I never thought like, oh, that's a real thing. I always thought that's something you do at night. Mm -hmm. Um, little as I know, I would go into the professional theater and it would also be something that I would do at night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I never had met people who really did that as a job Uh until I was in like late high school. I was like filling out college applications um, the summer that I did this internship. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to add like four theater schools to my liberal arts thing. Um, just because I was like so bitten by the bug that summer mm-hmm. and these professional people were like oh you should apply here you should apply here and I was like I've never even thought about that yeah um and I did and I ended up going in that track even though it was like so not God, thank God for those people who tell us to apply yeah. to those and things. they were like casually just like cool equity actors in a car being like oh have you ever like applied to the new school or Florida totally. which is where I ended up going totally um 
And I just, it was so not in my, no one in my guidance office. No, your guidance counselor isn't going to be like, so have you considered a BA in drama? (laughs) Yeah, never. And and also our our high school theater department, we did a play every other year and a musical every other year. So it was not rigorous. And it was like, definitely like at seven to nine, we rehearsed for three months. Like it wasn't a rigorous drama club anyway. Um, and sports were way bigger. So it, it's not like I had anyone at school that was really into that. Like the theater was like this bastard thing I did like with my parents on the side that I wasn't, that I, that I like totally segmented from my school friends and my mm-hmm. school life mm-hmm. um, where I was very into like student government and stuff. Like I thought I was going to go be like a campaign manager or like a Kerry Washington. Oh my gosh. Like that was like my That's idea. so funny. Was, like, Same. I was a poli yeah. major until yeah. I switched to music. I wanted to do, I was going to go to like Smith or Vassar and major in poli sci. Oh my God. Uh, thank God I did not do that. So, but you went to Fordham and you immediately so I was went in the, drama? I was in the acting. You have to audition. It's an audition program. And so I was for in the program. acting program. Um, and about a month in, I was like, oh, wow, I'm terrible at acting. I, don't, I actually truly huh. don't know how I got in. One of my classmates was Betty Gilpin, who knew I was like two Emmy noms. Love her. She was my college roommate. She's amazing. But I was just True. like, this is not... I mean, I'm looking at her and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, not only is she gorgeous and amazing she loves to do this like she loves to act and mm-hmm. I was just like oh I, I truly don't and so I remember <laughs> I went to my advisor who happened to be the directing professor and I was like hi I hate acting um, but I am here at acting school what do I do and she was like well she's like so measured I truly love her, her name's Elizabeth Margaret she's like the best female director in the universe and she was like um okay well do you like acting class at all and I was like well I really like watching the teacher like work with the students I just I'm gripped with fear terror and like actual like I want to vomit every time I'm supposed to get up and do that and she was like well do you like becoming like another person and I was like well yeah no one's actually <laughs> doing that and she was like um the actors definitely are <laughs> and I was like cool I'm not um and she was like well it sounds like maybe and I was like but I, I do feel like I'm a theater person like I can like feel that I am and she was like well it it doesn't matter for first semester. Everyone takes the same thing no matter what track you mm-hmm. are. She was like, so come back and see me at the end and let's talk about it. So we talked about it at the end of the semester. And I really by then had been like, oh, maybe I like directing. Maybe I'm into that. So she, luckily, as the directing advisor, was able to just put me in. But that wasn't something class. you had done before? You I had just never seen directors and you were like. I, yeah, I had never done that. And it's so funny now. My mom reminded me after I did that that when I was eight. Like, I started, um, I would get the program when we would see a play, and I would take notes on what was wrong during it. Like, she was like, it's so funny that you never knew you were a director because you fully did that when you were eight years old. But, like, I didn't, I had never done that. There was no opportunity as a kid for me to do that. I didn't go to a performing arts school, for sure, no. I was definitely, like, the bossy kid playing dress-ups. Like, I feel like that's the closest thing I got. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just immediately loved it. And now, as a playwright, it makes sense because the first um, directing class you take at Fordham is you generate your own pieces. They're textless, but you're creating the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved it. I fell in love with it. And so I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to like grow up and be like Pam McKinnon or Lee Silverman. Like I'm going to like be Sam Gold. Um, and so I really like set out on that, that new play track. Um, I got like internships at the LARP. Like I was like ready to go. I did like the Playwrights Horizons assistant directing residency. Um, and somewhere along the way, assisting enough directors and, and getting involved with that, I was like, oh, wow, like there's a real ceiling to this job. First of all, it's not your work. You don't own it. Um, I think that as a playwright, I think that's a really important distinction. Like truly directors do not own the play. Um, no matter how much work and amazing stuff they do on the production, it's not their play. And I found myself really frustrated by like 
the lack of ownership and also the lack of agency I had in my career. I was like, I'm a young female director. Like, no one's handing me any amazing plays. Like, understandably, they're going to, like, you know, the Davis McCallums of the world. Like, they're just, I'm not getting to do them. Um, and so I remember at one point my best friend, Amir, who's in my company, um, which didn't exist at the time, said, well, like, what we always end up doing is you are funny and awesome. You get all our friends together. We find a bad playwright and you like turn their play into something good by either satirizing it or whatever. And then that's how we make our work. He was like, what if we just cut out the middleman? Like, why don't you just write the bad play? And like, we'll do that. And I was like, oh, well, I could definitely write a bad play. Like that <laughs> sounds fine. Like, <laughs> And at the same time, um, I was working for a playwright director named Young Jin Lee. Young Jin Lee is one of the most successful downtown playwrights on the scene right now, and her 2018 play titled Straight White Men made her the first Asian-American woman to have a show on Broadway. And I worked for her for a bunch of years, and she had been haranguing me about how I was complaining. She was like, but you're, you're so good at directing, and I kind of feel like you're a writer. And she had been haranguing me. She was like, stop complaining about how you don't get any projects you like. I'm so sick of it. Um, so she hooked me up with Here Art Center, and for my birthday one year, she arranged for me to have three nights in the space free. That was like my birthday present. The catch was it was only three weeks from the time that she told me, because I'm sure what happened is they had someone drop or something. <laughs> and she was like, "So you have three weeks. Happy birthday! You can't use a playwright. Like you have to make something." So I called all my actor friends, and I was like, "You guys, like this is awesome, but also so scary. Like what do we do?" Um, and that's how I wrote my first play, and that was in 2000, late 2012. Um, and after that, I was like, oh, I think, I think maybe I like I'm an auteur. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I want to like make little plays and tour them and be like Young Jean or like Nature Theater of Oklahoma or like, you know, like Worcester Group but without a trust fund, like you know, like Radio Hole or whatever. Um, and uh, I started to realize, oh, like, there's also a ceiling on that job. <laughs> I was like, that actually really is a lot of work and hard. Um, and, you know, I love making work with friends, but I was also like, I think I'm avoiding doing something that's, that's more painful. Um, and also, I really needed health insurance and didn't want my day job anymore. So I went to grad school at Brooklyn College. Um, which for was playwriting? For playwriting. Yeah. Um, which I don't know why they accepted me. I had only written two plays and they were both bad. Like, <laughs> I'm very embarrassed now. Clearly not bad. Um, I honestly I've heard think that's a great program, it's right? It's a great program, which is truly why I don't know how I got it. Um, <laughs> but I honestly think maybe Young Jean made a phone call or something because like the two plays I submitted to Aaron Courtney and Mac Mullen were like, not. they weren't good. Um, and so I, I went through that program and at the end of the program, Mac Wellman, which if you know his work, he writes like, Truly, like, I say this, this is the word he uses, like, he writes nonsense. Like, that's, like, important <laughs> to him. Mac Wellman is a playwright and poet best known for his experimental plays which abandon plot and even character. He'll be like, add legs on the piano and, like, let it rain orange-purple blood. Like, it, it's, like <laughs> it's totally, like, images and mischief and, and, non and true nonsense. Mm -hmm. And um, so when he said to me right before my thesis was due, he was like, uh... I, I would love to see what would happen if you would write a real play with a couch in a room. I was like, that asshole. What the fuck is he talking about? Like, I was just like, what do you mean? Like, Mac Wellman, you're telling me to write a naturalistic play? And I was like, oh, I see what this is. Like, I was doing, like, the whole, like, student thing. I was like, I see what this is. You think I'm not working hard enough. You think I'm, you, you know, you're, you're basically saying, like, um, 
you, you're not applying yourself because I was writing all these satires mm-hmm. and you know they were funny um, and so I was like fine you want me to write a producible like normal play Mac Wellman I'll show you he probably forgot he ever said this like he probably said well, we have like, two ro- classes of rosé at our tutorial yeah, like yeah. I don't think it was like that serious of an edict from him but I but took it as like, that I, student as, like, the like, student I was like oh my god yeah. like I can't believe he told me to write a play with a couch yeah. I'll write the best play with a I got like so annoyed about it Yeah. and so I forgot about it. I was directing at the time the biggest show of my career and I just like didn't think about it. The show closed and I realized I had um, like 72 hours to write the entire play. And I thought, I still don't know why I didn't just like, I could have just phoned it in. Like I'm a pretty fast writer, even if it's bad. Like I could like do a fast bad thing very quickly. But for some reason I was like, no, he gave me an assignment and I wanted to like prove to myself like I can be a director and a writer. And so I sat down in my living room and I was like, okay, a real play. Real plays are about conflict between characters. And I was like, who's the most important character in my life? Me, obviously. <laughs> I was like, and then who's like the second most important? And I was like, okay, my, my gay best friend, actually a couple of them. But I was like, for the purposes of this, it's one person. And I was like, okay, me and my gay best friends, what would like drive a wedge between us? And I was like, not a man, like, we had boyfriends like that's fine and I was like oh if one of them came home with like a basic girl and was like this is our new friend I would be like what like I would just that would be unrecognizable <laughs> to me um and so I was like yeah maybe I'll write a play about that and then I closed my computer because I am the worst procrastinator who truly hates myself and my roommate came home, also a fun gay man, and was like, oh, the premiere of American Horror Story Hotel um, is tonight. Do you want to watch it? And I now had like 48 hours left. And I was like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat down and watched the whole thing with him. And at the end of the episode, I was like, I'm sick with myself. How did I just waste another hour like watching this TV show? But during the episode, there had been this song um, that I had shazammed. You know, and the song was called I Want to Fucking Tear You Apart. And I just like loved it. I was obsessed with it. So I was like, okay, I often write and this is so I hate writers who say shit like that, but I'm going to do it. I often write in the bathroom because I'm slightly uncomfortable, but I have everything I need. I can turn (laughs) steam on. But like I it's I do want to get out. So I'm like, I like in the bath in the shower, No, no, like on the floor of the bathroom. Because it's like the only door that locks. My roommates can't bother me. But also oh, I'm not yeah. happy there. So sure. I won't just take a nap. I'll, uh, there's no TV. Like it's it's like, yeah, but I, I don't have to leave to use the bathroom. I'm yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah. It's st- super stupid. But I do tend to do that. So I was in the bathroom and I also write with usually one song on repeat for every play. Huh. So because I had just listened to this song, I want to fucking tear you apart. I was like, oh, like maybe I'll start with listening to this and see if it does anything. So I, I press play and I sat down and I started writing the play and I did not leave that bathroom for 39 or 40 hours, maybe for a minute, like to get food or something. But like, basically, um, I wrote until it was time to leave for class. I literally was like, end of play. Okay. I can take a 20 minute nap, <laughs> take Your a shower. must have had to go real bad. We have two bathrooms. <laughs> I do want to say we have two bathrooms. <laughs> You're so not a monster. Okay. Also, my other roommate's a writer who now writes in the bathroom because he's like, oh, that is a good idea. So, you're in the bathroom. Oh, so I'm in the you bathroom. You wrote the play. What did Mac think? Uh, I brought it into class. I felt like it was like a fever dream because I had written it and I like hadn't even really processed it at all. I hadn't gone back and looked at anything that I wrote, really. Um, and when we read it, I thought, oh, God, like, 
damn it, Mac Wellman. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wrote a real play. And it's called I Want to Fucking Tear You Apart. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, yeah, I it's the play that definitely like changed the trajectory of my career for sure. But hmm. also I think in, in a nice way changed my trajectory as an artist where I was like, oh, I think you were avoiding doing some hard work that you were scared of doing mm-hmm. um, in terms of like mining some, some pain and grief. But also like, it's so funny. <laughs> like, I, so I went to Brooklyn College and then I ended up um, a little bit after that, I took a little break and then I went to Juilliard, which I just finished in May, where I was told repeatedly, in a good way, like in a very supportive good way, like, oh, you're, well, because you write comedy, because you're a comedy writer, et cetera, et cetera. And I would always be like, am I? Like, I don't sit down hmm. thinking like, I'm gonna write something funny. But so I think something that Do I really- Do you sit down saying I'm gonna write something serious? No, I just sit down being like, I'm going to write this thing, whatever it is this time. Yeah. Usually it's actually something I'm enraged about um, that then writes its way into something I'm really sad about. But it's so funny when people are like, well, as a comedy writer, you must. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not stupid. I totally know like that I'm writing some, a scene that is funny or like mm-hmm. a character or a moment or a line that's mm-hmm. funny. But I'm truly never sitting down to write it's not comedy. Premeditated. That is not like... I think my tone is comedic often. But I think that actually comes from a place of, like, as a fat person, I'm like, well, fat people have to be funny. Mm. And a lot of my other characters are gay men also who have to be funny to, like, survive. Right, so to me, right. like, comedy is, like, this is often a thing these characters are using or doing to protect themselves or, like, a, mm. a survival mechanism. So I'm not so dumb that I'm like, I didn't know I was funny. Like, I hate that. Like, that's yeah, not yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but I'm not sitting down being like, what would a funny situation be... Um, between people, I'm usually sitting down to be like, what is like the most truthful, real situation between whoever I've decided is in the room together? Mm-hmm. And then like I write from that place. And then it's often funny because I actually think like humans are so funny and hypocritical and hilarious. Like I actually genuinely find like human behavior so funny. Mm-hmm. And the way people talk and say one thing and then do another or say one thing and then instantaneously turn around and say something else that's completely opposing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, a lot of that is funny. Uh, but as far as like sitting down to be a comedy writer, not really something I'm doing when I'm writing what what I now think of as my real plays. Um, but I think what Mac was trying to do was to be like, I think that those satires are like are covering for something else. Like yeah, it I'm curious me what of would the, happen um, if you. I think what he was actually saying, like what the note was, was like, what would happen if you pierced through that layer of satire into like actual emotion sure and how would that sit together um so i'm grateful he remembers none of this i'm sure he's Um, like yeah yeah of course like he has no idea that he ever it it reminds me of the hannah gadsby nanette thing that she talks about of of her comedy being a self-defense mechanism and not wanting to use that anymore of course stand-up comedy is literally I'm supposed to make you laugh, so yeah, it's yeah. sort of transgressive when she's like, not yeah. gonna do that right now. But, but truly, the best comics are like so sad, yeah. like, you know, or like it's really profoundly um, articulating an actual pain. And so for me, yeah, I think that's why it's like, I actually don't think most people who's most plays where someone clearly sat down to write a comedy. While that's really hard, like, I think writing a farce is, like, the hardest technical thing to do. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm much more interested in, like, the ways in which comedy, like, reveals emotional truth, I think. Totally. Um, and, and emotional hilarity. Like, I think laughing is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. otherwise I wouldn't write joke lines or funny characters that mm-hmm. exist together to do weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so that's, 
that's kind of how I ended up at New Dramatists with our friend Linda Healy. Um, <laughs> I actually got into New Dramatists and Juilliard on the same day, which was crazy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. It was, like, actually the craziest day of my life. I think huh. about it sometimes, and I'm like, that was so weird. Um, and then suddenly I was like, oh, I think, like, I think I have something to say. What a terrifying truth. <laughs> and that I truly hate every day. Yeah, there's something... You're, you're focused on realism in a really interesting way because in, in the mission statement of your company, too, it talks about, uh, you know, you want to break realism open, be more yeah. inclusive about it. But so, so in a way, you're saying, let's break realism. But in the last sentence, you're also saying, we are going to include you, you know, yeah, yeah. a direct address to whoever's reading this blurb. Mm-hmm. We're going to include you in realism. Yeah. So do you view those as different things? You know, breaking realism, but also... Or or is it reshaping realism to be like... I think it's more like... I, it's so funny because I wrote that mission statement, you know, four or five years ago. But I, I talk about this with my... I teach at NYU and I talk about this with my students. We have this word realism. And it's not the same thing as real. And it's not the same thing as nationalism. And it's not the same thing as truth. Mm-hmm. So... Like, in some ways, Hannah Gadsby standing on stage talking to you is realism. It's the realest thing that can possibly happen, which is a real person really standing in a room, really talking directly to you. And so that, in some ways, I would, I'm like, why do we call this other thing where we're mimicking real life realism? Realism should be the thing that is real, which is the person talking directly to you. Anyway, these are all semantic ways of saying, I think it's like, we have a medium that does quote unquote realism really well. And that's TV and movies. Mm -hmm. Like, especially nowadays, it's like, you can turn on Nurse Jackie, you can turn on Girls, you can turn on a billion shows that are doing this so beautifully and well. So we don't need to do that on stage anymore, I feel. Mm -hmm. That's not to say we should throw out all the classics and never do them again, like August Wilson. Like, but I just don't think we need to be like building a living room and like pretending like things are happening that are exactly true to life. Um, That said, as people, that's the narrative we're steeped in the most. And so we have a relationship to that. When you walk in a theater, whether you're seeing a stand-up comic or a concert or whatever, like you have a relationship to narrative drama. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing, it's the biggest thing we like drink in all day. Um, so I, I feel like my plays and my work is always in constant like conversation between those two poles. Some of my plays are like super weird and on the realm of like, whoa, that's obviously more like absurdism or not real. Mm-hmm. And some of my plays, like the one I'm about to go into production for, are actually like, pretty recognizable like it takes place in a kitchen like literally um but in all of those cases i would say i tend to have at least moments that like challenge the like is this exactly real and what does that mean and why are why are we so obsessed with that and then all the places have like a different like level of that like even in this very pretty kitchen sink literally drama that i'm about to do there's like a couple moments where like they've tried to get me to cut it because it is like a little bit like lifted, what I would call like naturalism lifted. Uh-huh, <laughs> and uh-huh. they're like, What's naturalism this about? plus. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, well, because it is still a play. <laughs> like, we still have an opportunity here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, when Phoebe Waller Bridge turns to the camera, I would still call that a realistic uh, show, but mm-hmm. she has some moments where it's like, I'm going to do this other convention. Mm-hmm. And I think theater especially has this ability to like mix mediums in that way and I think we kind of have to otherwise why isn't everyone just going to see a movie right um, but then I have another play called Three Fat Sisters that's like totally like no one will ever do it because it's like completely like unrecognizable as 
um, you know, a real narrative. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I, I also don't think writers have to be one thing. Like, for me, I'll, like, get sick of one thing. Like, I'll work really hard on this play that's super kitchen sinky, and then I'll be like, ah, I gotta, like, get my weirdness out somewhere else. Totally. And, you get your energy from pinballing somehow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that um, so many playwrights writing for TV now, and I'm, I'm doing some of that, too, and I find that it's actually really freeing to have such a strict... Um, structure and word limit and stuff but then it ultimately sometimes it makes me want to take my plays and just like like a car and just like drive them into a wall so I can just do whatever I want you know what I mean so I think that's also um I think for some playwrights I've heard friends complaining like it makes their plays more like tv for me I feel like it makes my plays less like like uh -huh. I'm like there are no rules here so I'm gonna go crazy over yeah. here in my corner yeah, yeah, yeah. um I definitely think that that's influenced me a little bit recently and so for me, yeah, I'm in a conversation with realism. I'm considering it all the time, whether mm -hmm. I'm leaning into it or away from it. I think that I'm always, always, always thinking about where I sit in that zone. Yeah. And, and the language, too. I really like to write exactly how people talk, which doesn't sound like realism, yeah. actually. Yeah. Even though... So people are always like, your language is so absurdist. I'm like, it's not. I actually like truly am listening exactly for people's syntax. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't sound like what we code as realism, this mm -hmm. thing that we call realism, mm -hmm. which is actually very fake. So I just think it's fascinating. There's so many layers. That's great. <laughs> um, with the TV stuff, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, I'm, uh, yes, I'm working on um, a project with an original, a half hour original with Amazon and Field Trip Productions. Um, that's basically like fat sex in the city is like a good huh. way to describe it and I'm obsessed with it and I um, have just I love the characters and I, I hope someday you'll get to see them <laughs> I don't know it's, it's, a, it's a writer's movie. room or no no it's uh, right now it's just in development which means I've written the pilot and they just um, ordered a second script which is great Amazing. so it's like slowly moving forward um, you know with the TV I'm learning it's like just like theater uh, it's like it's, you get a reading at that cool place wow Oh, they're doing a two-day workshop. Ooh, but it's like such a long road yeah. to actually like the production. Oh my God, tell me about it. <laughs> you know, like it's like yeah. I feel like the stars and planets have to align perfectly. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I'm just trying to really be, and I have a bunch of other projects in development too, and I'm just trying to be like at every level, just like I do in theater. At every level, every opportunity I'm given, I just try to do the absolute best, most specific, honest, truthful writing I can do, and that's all I can do. That's all I have control over. I don't mm -hmm. have control over it. if there's another show too much like it, or if that network executive doesn't get it, or what, like, I can't actually predict that. Um, that said, I've actually had such a positive experience with Amazon and with, of course, with Field Trip. Our producers, um, Will Graham and Haley Warango, are amazing, and, and it's been really fun to, to take what I think is sort of like my flavor into a different aesthetic and actually I feel like more than the theater TV is like oh wow we love that mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like uh -huh. I feel like the theater is like we don't get it and TV is actually they're very they've so far been really receptive to it um, and then I'm working on another project that I can talk less about um, <laughs> but that's based on a really awesome article um, that is looking like we'll figure out some more future for that this week which I'm really excited about cool uh, and then I have another show I'm working on that also I can't talk too much about, <laughs> but is also a half-hour original series comedy. So all three of them are half-hour comedies. I would say they go from like pretty dark, like kind of like Barry, to light, more like Sex in the City, but with heart. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, but I'm excited about all of them, and 
I really love that TV is so collaborative actually from the very beginning. I thought I was actually going to hate that as a writer, but I love it because it makes me drill deeper earlier. Mm-hmm. Like instead of getting a bunch of notes after you've done a draft, you get a bunch of notes in the beginning. So you're like walking into it being like, here are the things people are into and here are the things people care less about. Okay, I'm going to shape it around that. Mm-hmm. The hard part about that is you get a lot of voices in your head, but I think because of my directing background, I'm pretty good at being like, those voices are useful, those are not, mm-hmm. moving forward with these things and this, you know, like kind of making the recipe for what's useful for me as a writer moving forward. Totally. Still like maintaining my vision, but making sure I'm like addressing the needs of a larger group. Mm-hmm. I find it kind of like a fun math challenge. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Talk of the Hound. Be sure to check out Theater Hound on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. And if you're anywhere near Louisville, Kentucky this month, check out Morgan's play, Nicole Clark is Having a Baby, at the Humana Festival. It runs from March 8th to April 12th.